going back today. Genesis chapter 12. We're actually going to be in Genesis 8 through 12 a lot uh, this morning, so just keep, keep your finger there. Um, but I'd like to read our text verse this morning in Genesis 12, chapter 1. It says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. The words, get thee, comes from the Hebrew word, yalak. Now it's translated, I think, some 800 times uh, in different various words in our English Bible. And some of them are again, away, bear, bring, carry away, come away, depart, flow, plus flowing, get away, get hence, get him, cause uh, to, to made, cause to or made, go away, uh, go one's way, grow, lead forth, let down, march, prosper, Cause to run, spread, take away, vanish, cause to walk, walking, uh, to wax, um, or be weak. But the more common expression, I would say, if we just kind of want to boil this down to the expression of get thee, is simply the word go. Go. And from this text in Genesis 12:1, I want to preach a message entitled Go. Let's pray. Father, it is the word of God to our hearts, the instructions from you. Lord God, may we be attentive to hear you this morning. May your Holy Spirit speak to us through this message. May we be able to hear what you mean and where we are to go into our lives today. Now, Father, I pray you just bless uh, these stammering lips and, and the physical difficulties I might have this morning and put them aside and let the Holy Spirit speak very clearly to each one of us today for we ask it in Jesus name amen all right Genesis 12 1 now the Lord had said unto Abram get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee in this statement, there is a clear twofold representation of what get thee means. There was something for Abraham to go from, and there was something he was to go to. Now, I'd like to look back at just a, a few chapters in Genesis to clearly understand what it was that Abraham was to leave. The end of Genesis chapter 8, Noah and his family get off the ark. Noah builds an altar and sacrifices to the Lord. And God says to him in Genesis 8.21, And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite anymore every living thing, as I have done in verse 22, while the earth remaineth, 
seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. Now in the verse, first verse of chapter 9, God gives a very clear command to Noah and his sons. Genesis 9.1 says, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. The end of chapter 9 concludes with Noah getting drunk and being naked in his tent, his son Ham doing something bad enough to Noah while he was naked and asleep. It doesn't say exactly what Ham did to Noah, but what took place was while Noah was naked, and there was some kind of physical evidence after the fact whereby Noah knew what it was. Ephesians 5.11 says, and maybe a, a, a reason why the details aren't given here, it says, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them, for it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. I don't know. We're not to know. God apparently doesn't want us to know. But whatever was done, it was bad enough that it brings a curse on Ham's son, Canaan. Think of that word, Canaan. We're going to see some awful associations in the line of Ham. And this is all going to pertain. I'm going to lead up. To, it's going to take a while to get there. But I want you to understand where Abraham was and what he was to leave. But we also see in this chapter the blessings put on Shem and that Canaan shall be a servant. Japheth shall be enlarged and live in the tents of Shem. And the end of Noah's life is stated to be 350 years after the flood. These are some interesting times here. I don't think we particularly look at these, these several hundred years after the flood. And there's only a few chapters particularly talking about it. And it seems like little said, but there's actually a lot said when you read it carefully. Chapter 10 chronicles the generations of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Japheth is said to become the people known as the Gentiles. Ham is known as the nations of the Canaanites, and through his son Cush would be the Africans, Ethiopians, Egyptians, Egyptians Libyans, etc. Moreover, we see the association of some particular bad people and places associated with Ham's generation. There's Heth. The Jebusite, the Amorite, the Gergesite, the Hivite, the Archite, the Sinite, the Arvadite, the Zemurite, and the Hamathite. A lot of ites. Canaanites. They seem to enjoy their, their names. Then there was a name associated under Ham's descendants named Nimrod. He was the one who became mighty upon the earth during these early days after the flood. There's many places of bad reputation mentioned, if you read this chapter. Of the more familiar are Egypt, Babel, Nineveh, Sodom, and Gomorrah. These were the places of what we call the Hamites. 
generation. Then we see the chronicles of Shem. Shem were the people that were in the, in the West. They were the Semitic people. They're most notably known as the line to Christ. There was a chosen line that would lead to the person of Abraham, which is the focus of our text. Now, Abraham would be considered the father of many nations, and that is in the spiritual sense, we will see. Now, there's an interesting statement in the generations of Shem, and, and, and it's really quite simple, though people like to add things and imagine things. Genesis 10:25 it says, And unto Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg, not Pegleg, Peleg. For in his days was the earth divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. Now, the days when the earth was divided should, again, shouldn't be overthought into wild imaginations. It's simply the time when God confused the single language that was there into many, and the nations were divided and scattered. Okay, so this gives us uh, a place of timing of Babel, somewhere between 100 and 175 years after the flood. Okay, we can kind of imagine that amount of time, you know, looking at our country and the history of our country. It's a very short period of time. Um, and, it, it, you know, it doesn't take long for man to, to mess things up. Let's just put it that way. You know, and there was also, think about this. During that time, eyewitnesses of the flood, those who went through the flood. You know, these people lived, you know, 500, 600 plus years during this time. So there's some big overlap. So I want you to remember who was still around through these times. Now, this was the time of Babel who under the leadership of Nimrod would begin to bring all people of the earth together under human direction. This is not really a new thing. I mean, it is a major division in the Bible um, to look at, but it's rather a repeating theme. It happened before the flood when... Man's heart was only continually evil. It happened at Babel, and it's happened in many forms since, and it's happening today. And there will be a final time in the last days where the earth in general will gather together against God in the, in the Jezreel Valley. Of course, Ham and his descendants more than likely would have been leaders of this one world movement, we might call it. But remember, Noah, Shem, and Japheth would have found themselves in the thick of this seemingly unstoppable Babel movement. They were all together in it. They were there. But there's also something consistent with the world's movement against God. There was always a remnant that would choose God over the world. A remnant meaning it was small. At the year of the flood, Methuselah dies at the year of when the flood comes. 
And Noah and his three sons, their wives live righteously and are saved. You know, I would make the assumption that Noah and Shem and maybe Japheth would have retained their righteousness in an evil world. And perhaps Shem might would have passed some things on to Abraham, although I can't say for sure. Now, history reveals through excavations of these areas, they reveal a common structure called a ziggurat. Pyramid-like structures that were commonly built by the nations that were spread at the time of Babel. It is therefore a safe assumption that these structures were of something commonly learned, that of a great ziggurat called the Tower of Babel. In other words, when they dispersed, it wasn't, oh, God did this thing and now we're going to turn to God. <laughs> it just spread little ziggurats all over the world. These ziggurats, there were things in common. There were steps leading to a high place where sacrifices were made, and they were made to idolatrous gods. Now this points to the Tower of Babel being the original design of idolatry worship in the post-flood, early in the post-flood. And here's a couple more key evidences. What was God's command to Noah and his sons soon after they departed from the ark? Now, we read this verse earlier, Genesis 9-1, And God blessed Noah and his sons, and said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth. What was the goal of Babel? Genesis 11-1, And the whole earth was of one language, and of one speech, and you could kind of understand that as you're starting and building, you're probably going to be pretty close together. You know, I could understand that you wouldn't say, hey, you know, Shem, you go this way, Ham, you go this way, and we're going to, you know, build this world here pretty quick. But it says, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Now, where is Shinar? That's known as Babylonia, where, or uh, not Babylonia, yeah, Babylonia, where Babylon is, which is not <laughs> a good name either. And they said, and it said they dwelt there, and they said one to another in verse 3, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us, us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven, and let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the whole face of the whole earth. The goal of the Tower of Babel was in direct opposition to God's command. Is the opposite. We're not going to let, we're going to, now I'm going to do what God said to do. We're going to you know, prevent that from happening. The purpose was opposite of giving glory to God. It was to give glory to man. Don't we live in this? You see, it's really not much different today. The evidence comes in the use of personal pronouns commonly found from man who is in the process of self-glory. It's all around us today, folks. 
We started the message with God's command to Abraham, get thee. We see here in the story of Babel, the self-instructed words, go to let us, let us, let us make brick, let us build, let us make, let us make a name. Though indirectly said, it's let us not do what God told us to do. We have the same thing today. A couple other instances in the Bible come quickly to mind who had the, what I would call the I-itis problem. Nebuchadnezzar, full of eyes and what he did and how he exalted himself. And then I thought of the rich man whose fields brought forth plentifully. And what shall I do with all that I have and what I, me, my? It would seem, lest God should intervene, that they would have been successful at it. That's what it appears. In Genesis 11, 5 through 8, it says, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one. And they have all one language, and this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to. <laughs> Let us go down. And therefore confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Now Abraham comes on the scene some 250 to 300 years later, as he's being called out. When, in, when he was told to get the from where he was at. Now we can see all sorts of ziggurat structures all over the world today. I mean, they're in South America. They're everywhere where, where things spread. It was a common, common thing. You see commonness in the gods. They worship the, uh, the creation rather than the creator. Now, I know I took kind of a long way around the block, but we're getting close to answering the question of what was God telling Abraham to get thee from? Well, the Ur of the Chaldees has been excavated, and they have found very ornate, a very ornate and prosperous city full of idolatry. They worship the creature rather than the creator, but we didn't have to wait till they in recent times found the city that the godless people said never existed. <laughs> we can look to scripture to find out what Abraham and his father were living in. Turn to Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24. Interesting here. A portion of scripture that God inserted in his word for our benefit. It said in Joshua, in Joshua 24, 1, And Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and called for the elders of Israel, and for their heads, and for their judges, and for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah the father of Abraham, and the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. 
Abraham's father was an idolater. The world at this time was pretty well gone over to Satan. We might feel like that today. And Abraham was in the midst of it. His father was taken by it. What was Abraham to get thee from? Genesis 12, 1. Now the Lord had sent unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house. He was to leave his country, a place of great prosperity, comfort, and idolatry. He was to leave his kindred, his relatives that he no doubt have well known and loved. He was to leave his father's house particularly. He was to leave Tira. He was to leave everything he knew. Now I'm just going to stop here a moment. And I, I want you to be able to see that the faith of Abraham is a picture of the faith that we must have of salvation. Basically, Abraham was going to sacrifice everything he had. He had to turn away. That's called repentance. And by faith, he was going to have to go somewhere where he had no idea where it was going. I, we've been said here before, I'll tell you what, I, I am just continually knowing more and more what it was when I said, yes to God, please save me. I had no idea. Nobody has any idea what that is, but they trust in God. And they're able to turn away from everything they know to follow God's voice at all costs, whatever that is, to trust Him. That's what Abraham did. That's the same thing we do today, though we know we have the Word of God. We know who Jesus Christ is and how He died for us to save us from our sins. We know the more specifics of it, and we're accounted to know that, to understand that. We know what we are following. We are following the Word of God. How did Abraham know the voice of God in this time? You know, it really doesn't say. You know, Samuel heard the voice of God. I thought of this. In a time when there was a draught of God openly speaking, but he used Eli, who was a witness to the voice of God, as not as good a person as he should have been, to explain and instruct Samuel how to respond. I'd like to look at 1 Samuel chapter 3 if you want to go there or just wait. I'm going to go ahead and start reading 1 Samuel 3, 1. And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. Remember, this is a time at the end of Judges where the people were far away from God. They would go toward God, away from God, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place and his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see. And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. And Samuel was laid down to sleep. And that the Lord called Samuel and he answered, Here am I. And he ran unto Eli and said, Here am I. 
for thou callest me. And he said, I called not. Lie down again. And he went and laid down, and the Lord called yet again, Samuel. And Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And he answered, I called not, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Hear that? Neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. Therefore Eli said unto Samuel, What's the next word? Go. Lie down. And it shall be, if he call thee, that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. And then it says, And the Lord said unto Samuel. Now, Now this is a bit of a rabbit trail. But who may have helped Abraham who lived in a prosperous idolatrous world and train his ear and to teach and to respond to the call of God. It wasn't his father. <laughs> but I could see anyway. But just a thought of perspective for you. You know, Noah <coughs> would have died just two years before Abraham was born. Yet Shem was alive until Abraham was 150 years old. I imagine they probably would have been in the same place. It would seem like that's where would have went. Abraham had a relative that was eyewitness to the old world and its wickedness who also survived the great flood. Irregardless, I don't know how, Abraham heard God and believed him. That's what, you know, when God speaks to your heart and he convicts you in your heart and you hear him and you believe him, that's how you are saved. He was told by God to get thee from some things. But he was told to go to some things. Where did God tell him to go? Well, Genesis 12.1 says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house. Where to? Unto a land that I will show thee. Abraham was to go to a land that he had no idea where that was. That's okay. To trust Jesus, just trust him that he'll take care of your future day by day. Hebrews 11.8 says, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place, which he should after receive for inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whither he went. You know, God doesn't lay things out for us ahead of us. He tells us day by day <laughs> to live. Though we know what our ultimate destination is and we know how we ought to live you know Abraham though not perfect represents the work of salvation 
the essence of believing on God, an act of leaving everything you know to the belief of God, directing your life day by day, not having any idea of what might entail that entails, but believing it is worth leaving everything you know and have control of to a life that is ordered by the Lord. Galatians 3.5 says, He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit, and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? Even as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. This was the time of his salvation, when he believed. He gave over everything he had, over to God for whatever God would do in the future. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all the nations be blessed. See, it's a spiritual blessing. It's, it's by that same faith that we believe on Jesus Christ for salvation is what makes us righteous, is what made Abraham righteous. Abraham was not circumcised at that point. It, was the, it is by faith is what Father Abraham is, and all who believe can be the children of Abraham in the sense of believing by faith. Now, where would God take him? Genesis 12, 5, And Abraham took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son. And it would seem almost as you read this, Haran, his, his brother, um, dies. And it's almost, it seems like, Abraham does the right, brings him under his house. Now, you will always know that Lot was considered righteous as well. He must have believed God as well. He said, in all their substance, they, they had gathered the souls that they had gotten in Haran, and they went forth into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. And Abraham passed through the land unto the place of Sichem, unto the plain of Moran, and the Canaanite was then in the land. Maybe it's good God didn't tell him where he was taken. <laughs> Maybe early in your faith that might have been a little hard uh, to take. God would take him into the land of the Canaanites. His family would land themselves in Egypt eventually. Abraham would find his family in a land that they did not own. They were sojourners dwelling in tents in the wicked lands of Ham's relatives, and particularly the land of Canaan, who was cursed for his deed upon Noah. They would suffer for 400 years. The Hebrews would before being delivered from Egypt. Abraham not only took the first step into who knows, but he also kept going when the going got tough, when it becomes ununderstandable in your life living for God. How did he do it? Hebrews 11.9, by faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath 
foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Abraham kept his eyes on the promise of God, believing in his promise. He pursued, pursued God, believing whether or not his eyes could see it or not. He kept that pursuit, and we ought to learn from that as well. A lot of things may not make sense, but we've started a journey. And, and, and our journey, we know the end is heaven. And we know a lot more than what Abraham knew at that time. And we've got a lot more to go on. And we just need to continue, to continue, to continue. Now let me tell you of the modern Ur of Chaldees today. The manifestation of the Tower of Babel. You know, men build cities today, don't they? This is, this is, what, this is what mankind does. I hate cities. I'll tell you, I hate them. I don't want to go see a city. I want to, I want to go see a work of God out in the, in the country. You know, you know, there's a few things that are pretty neat that man does and to, and to look at. But we build cities. We compete with each other to have the highest buildings, to have the best of foods, to have the best of jobs, the best of sports. The best entertainment. They compete to draw people by draw of our flesh. That's what cities really are all wrapped around. It's like Ur of the Chaldees. It's, it's like the Tower of Babel. It's the same sort of thing. The world today, just like before the flood, right after the flood, and today are bu busy building noisy busy, self-pleasing, self-exalting places that first of all, here's what happens. It deadens our hearing of God's voice. You know, I can't, you know, my, if something's going, if I'm washing my hands and my wife's talking to me, forget it. I wish you wouldn't try to do that. You know, frustrates me, but frustrates her. But, you know, the world, that's kind of what it does. It keeps you, it blocks you from hearing God's voice. It keeps us from doing God's work. And it causes us to forget what our purpose as a Christian really is. That's what happens when we get lost in that. Now, I'm not going to throw a bunch of water on some fun things that we can do. I mean, we can watch the football games today or get highlights or whatever, and we can... We can enjoy that, but I will preface it with this. If what we enjoy in life and we give our time and effort to does not bring us closer to God, because it will either bring us closer or start to take us away. If it takes us farther away from God, it's not good. We need to get rid of it. Jesus, in the prayer for his disciples, prayed for us to have the correct relationship with the world. If you would, turn to John chapter 17. And I'm getting, getting close to, to closing here. John chapter 17. These are the words of Jesus before he goes to the cross of his disciples. And, it, and he also includes us, if you read in this, the future, those who will be saved. He gives us his thoughts concerning the world. John 17, beginning in verse 6, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. 
Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee. And they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world. But these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father. Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. I don't know of a prayer that Jesus could say that God would never answer him. It was in his will. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. That's what you ought to be looking at. Is Jesus Christ, is his joy being fulfilled in your life? I have given them thy word, and thy word hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world, but that thou shouldst keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. I say I don't like cities, but I can also say I love cities, because that's where God sent us into the world Okay, to give them the gospel to, for the salvation of people. Cities are one of the biggest, best places to do that. If you want to have your own little self-world outside in this beautiful country out here, that feels nice in the flesh, but that's not our business, folks. We could be drawn away from that. We are to witness to a lost and dying world. We are to be like Abraham. We're looking that country. This is not our home. We're just passing through as the song goes. We are sojourners in a land. This, is, this isn't it, folks. But remember that world can take us away from all those thoughts. And you have to admit it's happened to you. Maybe it is happening to you. Abraham somehow was able to hear God's voice to go. Perhaps you are the key to someone else hearing God's voice in a world filled with lies and confusion to tell somebody that they can recognize God's voice calling them. Abraham put away his old life, the only life he knew to follow God to a place and way of living that was unknown, unfamiliar, and an unconditional walk. A dependence of a daily walk with God. Abraham made mistakes. We will make mistakes. 
But God remained faithful to his promises. I like what Brother Mike says. You know, there's a lot of great men, but they have all failed. But Jesus Christ never fails. God continued to be with him, speaking to Abraham, directing him to go. That would lead him in the path of destiny and fulfillment created in him from the beginning of the world. Your life is hid with Christ. What about you? Are you having trouble hearing God's voice to go? Are you struggling letting go and letting God? Now tonight I'll give the conclusion of this message go as it relates to our church and the members of it. But for now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, and the pianist coming to play, what an interesting time. An amazing time. Just after the flood, pretty quickly, the Tower of Babel, languages being confused and people being separated out idolatry growing but there was still God there was still a remnant God tells Abraham to get thee get thee out of something and go into something by repentance and by faith the same call to us today if you are not saved if you haven't trusted Jesus Christ as your savior Jesus is saying, get thee. Get thee away from everything you know. Put your full trust in me. But it's your decision. He died on the cross. He did everything to put you in a position where you can say, yes, I'll go. I'll get saved today. I'll trust you. I don't know what that, all that means. Abraham didn't know what all that meant, but he believed God and he went. Perhaps that's what you need to do today. But maybe you're struggling along the way, going back to the Ur of the Chaldees, living the dream, <laughs> the American dream. that deadens our hearing, that hides our purpose. What will you say to God? Can you hear him telling you to go? He makes no mistakes. Thank you for your attention this morning. Pray God spoke to your heart and maybe and you've allowed him, you've heard him, and you've said yes to him and made a change for the better. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your blessings in life. 
Lord God, and uh, it's all about you, your word. It's the glorification of you. Forgive us, Lord God, for... We, like Abraham, make mistakes, but Lord, help us to get back on track. There was another man, Lot, who was righteous, who decided to take the wrong path. He ended up in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And many difficult things in his life. May we not be that. Now, Father, just be with each family today. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.